0: Welcome to the 5G TechVitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds.
1: So, um, hello everyone. Uh, as said before, my name is Madera. And uh, today, together with me, I have amazing guests and a very international group of experts coming from the, I wouldn't say metaverse, but um, related technologies. And um, as we may say in Latvian, ladies first. And I would like to start with uh, Silvia Lu a very technical lady with master of science in signal processing right with over 15 years experience in uh, telecom industry and now responsible for the corporate strategy at uBlox. Celia, maybe you can um, tell a bit more uh, what is your strategy in your company right now and how it goes along with the metaverse. So let's already deep dive into the business behind this all.
2: So really glad to be here again this year. So um, the, my involvement in metaverse was As some of you interviewed last year as a part of MetaCity project, we carried out um, some actual stakeholders here in the room. uh, We conducted a a study on MetaCity and we found that after interviewing the stakeholders and uh, analyzing the uh, industry environment outside of Riga, in Latvia, we found Riga has a potential to be a European successful MetaCity. Great. Um, Amazingly, because of the um connectivity infrastructure and that's really great coming to the capacity coverage but also the arvr innovation community that maduring you're leading for example Mm -hmm. but also the politicians sort of agility but also the support behind that Um, so really glad to be back here again this year really to have the conversation with the stakeholders um but also most importantly um back to the question so we are in terms of value chain telecom we are the device chipset and module vendor so I work for Ublocks, which is a, a sweet semiconductor vendor um, what would you say we are providing the DNAs of metaverse the building blocks because that connectivity between our you know between us between the device the people between the device and car but also localization. So these are, if you like, the building blocks. So I always, if you like, given that position in the ecosystem, we like to see more devices being equipped with that metaverse capability. But of course, there's a uh, uh, challenges, but there's also opportunities, which uh, I guess we can touch upon later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what
1: I hear, and I think that uBlocks is building like a foundation blocks for the metaverse. And then on top of that, I see the communication, the need for the network. And now I would like to introduce you with Yonis uh, Markopoulos, which is the lead of international European business at Nova ICT. Um, could you just yeah briefly introduce your company's focus and uh, things around what you're doing with the metaverse solution development?
3: Thank you, and good afternoon. Uh, so, I'm um, actually in two companies, Nova and Nova ICT. Nova is a telecooperator. operator, Nova ICT is uh, somehow a spin off on the integration level. Uh, I'm the head of uh, UN international business of both companies. Uh, what we currently do, and this is our strategy, we started our strategy two years ago, actually. Uh, first of all, we've set up a large testbed. We want to this testbed to become sustainable and this testbed is not only 5G, it's 5G evolved. The starting point is 5G evolved. We want to sustain it till 6G and beyond. Uh, this testbed is open. Uh, we have a lot of virtualized tools. It's a coalition of multiple organizations, research institutes and uh, companies in Europe uh, sustained by and funded partially by EU projects. Actually, uh, we have open calls now in the FIDAL.eu, you can find it because we want to engage uh, third companies bringing use cases, not just applications. Use cases meaning applications on the next level, digital twins, devices, users, everything. Engagement of users is uh, hugely important for us. And uh, beyond that, uh, we try to apply verticals. Uh, We understand that uh, uh, metaverse, it's in its infancy now. So we don't want to scare the organizations and the people. We want to go one step at a time. So we try to engage verticals. We consider it in the metaverse beginning uh, uh, level in the public safety sector, in the healthcare sector in uh, the smart cities uh, sector. Uh, All of them are small steps, but we try to create success stories and we are there. In parallel to this, we are in the process of starting defining larger projects. uh, For instance, for the capital of Greece uh, and other projects in the agricultural domain and others later on. So our strategy for the near future, meaning uh, tangible future two, three years from now, we don't want to leave it in the far future. We want to create the basis of the metaverse uh, in Greece, in various domains, tightly coupled digital twins, applications, giving uh, uh, goodies for both the end user and the industries, but also for the government sector in order to plan the next level of the city. Sure. Mm-hmm. this is for the beginning. This
1: is only Thank for you. the
3: beginning, guys.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, great. Uh, what else I know from Greece is that you have very active chapter president and at VRAR Association, so good Always. job. Always, yes, job.
4: <laughs> yeah, we then, are
1: for this. Uh, this is around, all around the ecosystem, what I hear, and then we have another person which is in between this ecosystem, bringing together the the companies with innovative solutions, and that is Paul Seely from UK. Nice to meet you here on stage. Paul, give us some intro. Thank
0: you. Um, so, hello everyone. So my name is Paul Seeley. I, I, uh, I'm the Director of Technology and Strategy at Digital Catapult. It's a UK um, organization of research and technology organizations. Um, we focus, we're mission-driven, we focus on um, accelerating the adoption of advanced digital technologies. And probably... on. Go on. You're on Keep there. going. Mm. Alright. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, louder now. Um, uh, it's accelerating the adoption of advanced digital technologies, and this. Um, so we have um, probably two big arms to what we do. We have um, an innovation team focusing on the innovation process. And also, um, so that might be looking at uh, a technology access program or acceleration programs. And also, we have deep technical teams focusing on immersive technologies, or um, or distributed systems, or AI, and future networks. And and so, our view on metaverse. So we're, when we're bringing together multiple multidisciplinary teams to work on these things, and our view on metaverse, we were working on all of the underlying technologies before. Before um, it became fashionable and uh, and our view is that they are transformational so we're still working on them now it's probably less less fashionable I think people say that that during these kind of less fashionable times, that's when people get serious and the people's, the really serious people do the building of the work. So that's where we're trying to trying to work on it. And our view as well around metaverse, we think it's really important that it's open and interoperable. And it's not just one thing. It's multiple different things all connected together. And, and so we want to really encourage that um, because that will maximize the opportunity for us. We'll discuss a bit later for, for all of the people trying to, trying to make something of, of, of the metaverse.
1: Great. But before I introduce our two guests from Stanford University, I have a story. And um, uh, myself, I'm coming from um, hardware developer. I would say hardware development company uh, building augmented reality headset, um, really complex one. And then once we realized that we have built something outstanding, and we want to prove that that basically it's something outstanding. Uh, And we won't go into the healthcare industry and in healthcare industry basically you know that it's complex. You need to get all the certifications, approvals, etc. And uh, what we did, we shipped our headset to US to FDA to get this initial testing and approval from uh, foods and Drug Agency that actually it could be used in healthcare and even more in in operating room. And somehow this headset um, ended at Stanford University at Visualization Lab uh, led by Christoph Leitze, and uh, there how we met and then afterwards also with Dr. Walter Greenleaf and uh, Christoph. maybe let's start with you. Um, yeah. What you're doing at Visualization Lab and then maybe a bit more about NACA as
5: well. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much. So I loved trying out the headset. It's a really nice optics. And so about my background, I'm the director of the Visualization Lab in Stanford and was doing research in augmented reality. And now, like you mentioned, now I have a startup and it's interesting to see this difference between doing research. where We are just uh, concentrating on the problem how can we create value for example to the medical practitioner how can we use augmented reality to guide a medical procedure to project the tumor directly onto the patient and we didn't really think about how to minimize the pain points of the user just okay how do you solve this one problem if the setup takes five or ten minutes during the surgery not a big deal as long um, as we can show this is a little bit more precise during the surgery then I received funding from the government, uh, from the US government, the so-called Small Business Innovation Grant, founded a startup, where are now trying to sell this technology. And suddenly, I was confronted to customers, to consumers, who actually want to buy this. And now I need to convince them to buy this technology. And then I realized there's a fundamental difference. And now I also want to ask, because we said before, it's always going one direction. I want to ask the audience, who here actually has a VR headset and who uses it regularly? <laughs> So I would say this is a sort of moderate amount of people. <laughs> and one of the big reasons might also be because there are still too many pain points. There are still a lot of pain points to use the technology. And this is what I realized. that so this is something we really need to solve for the adoption of the technology, minimize the pain points. You have to the phone almost has like two little pain points. That's why we're always hanging there. We can just take it out, click, and it's running. <laughs> With the heads, it always put it on, then I need to wait till it's running, then I need to go in my menu and it already takes a minute or perhaps two minutes just to, to get it running. Minimizing these, I think this is crucial if you want to sell this to our customers.
1: And we are arriving to Dr. Walter Greenleaf. Really honored to have you here between us. And um, a little intro, I know that you've been in this field for, for a decent time, let's, take it, let's say it like
4: that. Uh, m- more than 30 years. Yeah. yeah
1: so what's your experience so far and uh, yeah give us a little insight into it
4: well my experience is that um, we were almost there um, back in the early days of VR technology we always thought five years from now is when people are is really going to take off and it's been a moving target but now I really do feel it's only four years you know uh, in terms of my passion and my Activities. I, I work as a translational neuroscientist. I help uh, academic groups uh, move their products out into the clinical world. But I also work with a number of the investment groups, uh, medical product companies, with um, some of the um, large healthcare networks and help them understand emerging technologies. And, and we are really getting there. Um, the US uh, Veterans Association uh, hospital network is our largest healthcare network in the U.S., and we just in the last year and a half, we've uh, brought four thousand uh, clinicians have started using uh, VR headsets clinically. We they just placed an order for another ten thousand headsets, and it's being used for more than thirty different clinical indications, ranging from helping with uh, depression, anxiety, to helping with stroke rehabilitation, helping with addictions helping with uh, pre-surgical planning, uh, training patients, training clinicians, um, supporting um, um, aging in place, uh, so many different uh, arenas. So it's still early in terms of getting out to the larger market, but we now see so much momentum in the clinical use of um, extended reality technologies, immersive technologies. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I hear that most of the first use cases are more related to the mental health, right?
4: That's true by and large because we uh, have such acute needs there, but we also see a lot of adoption in stroke rehabilitation, for example. Um, I think that's driven by the fact that it's very effective, but also we can measure a little bit more accurately than we can in mental health the progress of the patient and that helps us uh, come up with the the business justification for moving new technologies in. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But those use cases are more like off-site use cases, right? What about real-time use cases, like during the, I don't know, uh, operation, in operating room? Have you, have some, yeah, do you have some examples to give us?
4: I I think both of us do. Uh, In my case, um, I had the privilege of watching a neurosurgeon remove a tumor He had taken images of um, the patient's brain and identified the tumor, did some data fusion of different um, layers of information, modeled that in a uh, VR system, Uh, almost automatically the system was very sophisticated, showed his surgical approach, and he had a couple options of different ways to go with different risks of doing different points of damage, showed that to the patient, had the patient had some agency, in helping the surgeon choose between the trade-offs of different approaches. And then in the operating room, overlaid on the field of uh, view from the surgical microscope, he could see in real time his surgical plan. And also as he made decisions about where to go, the imaging kept track of his his approach, helped identify like the optical nerve and so he could avoid that. It was just astonishing to see And he's had dramatically improved results compared to his own procedures before using extended reality technologies and also compared to some of the other neurosurgeons. So just one example of how we can do more. And uh, you're right, uh, Kristoff, we have to identify where it not just makes a big difference clinically, but also reduces time, saves money. Uh, In this case, uh, it was both. And there's other examples of that. So again, I think we're finally getting on the other side of, transitioning from a lab based uh, type of approach to now something that's gonna be scaling within the enterprise. And, and I feel that the medical enterprise is gonna be one of the deeper areas for the metaverse. I think in terms of connecting people who are aging in place and perhaps lonely and isolated, uh, helping uh, people get to know other people in other cultures, helping people who might be struggling with alcohol problems, for example, who don't want to who are in a small town and don't want to go to a meeting to discuss it, they can meet online. There's so much we can do with the technology that's finally taking off.
1: As far as I understood, Christoph, also you're working with real-time applications, right? By using AR headset and uh, giving instructions in, during the maintenance or some defense applications as well. So, yeah, could you comment on that, how you are doing that?
5: Yes. Um, also. To get back to the medical use case so the augmented reality and also this headset that you showed us makes a lot of sense for the augmented reality use case so this is a very very immediate obvious sense if i want to pick up the lid of this bottle i look at it and take it if this was now a tumor inside the patient what is the current standard i look on a separate screen with an mi scan and then while looking at the screen i try to really accurately figure out and pick up this this lid from the table so ar makes a lot of sense i look there I see the tumor, I take it out. And this is something right now that is used already and and works well for rigid objects, so for bones, for the um, head, for example, for the skull, where we don't have a lot of tissue movement. Once the soft tissue deformation comes in, it becomes a little bit more complicated problem. But um, there are then also still some hardware questions, and this is where the light space comes in, where how do we perceive this object? If I have a real object, it's really easy for me to perceive where it is. I'm not sure whether most people here have tried an AR headset. If I see the same lid here uh, from my bottle in an AR headset, depending on the um, display, it's actually a little bit difficult for me to estimate how far it is away yeah, because they have like a sort of fixed focal dis- um, distance. And the light space, for example, I think I'm not here. I don't get paid for that. And the light <laughs> space is uh, one of them that solves that by having multiple of these focal planes. But yeah, training training in general, I think, is a great case. So everything that like focuses on the real world, where we show in the real world some procedures that are linked to the real objects. What do we do? What are the next steps? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to do when a step is done um, about a certain type of equipment?
1: That's from the visualization perspective. But what I want to hear is what are the network requirements and uh, what are the delays you have in these specific applications. What are you using today and what you would like to have tomorrow? And maybe then we can also more uh, talk to yonis What are the expectations in the industry to basically be able to, to provide the necessary network and bandwidth to, to operate with such huge data sets as DICOM data, for example, coming from the tomography?
5: Um, so the question was, what kind of data? We have on the one hand data going out, so our headset. For headsets, you usually think about a display. But a headset is actually, I would argue, even 20% display. It's 80% sensors. It has cameras, it has depth cameras, it does hand tracking, it has eye tracking, it has a microphone. So it's a bunch of sensor data that we need to send out. So that's, first of all, where we need um, some very fast network. Then we need to get the images back. Some
1: very fast network. (laughs) What is it?
5: So this is, I would argue that in a well-controlled environment like a hospital, you're probably fine with Wi-Fi. I'm not sure whether I'm should. supposed to say that here at this <laughs> conference. But Wi-Fi might do the job. If you're in a large outside environment, people are moving around a lot, then obviously 5G makes more sense. So I think it good. depends you did, very much. Very much depending on E-word. the <laughs> use case. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Uh, Walter, your experience so far, um, do you rely more on Wi-Fi or what are the uh, network you use in your use cases?
4: Well, in, it really depends. Many of the use cases are distributed at different clinics, different hospitals. Um, and Wi-Fi actually can be a problem because the hospitals are very locked down. Uh, it's hard for an emerging company to interface with their networks because the uh, security restrictions. So uh, we see a lot of examples of edge computing and other ways of not having to upload the data except uh, when convenient to maybe offsite. There's some creative solutions being developed there, but certainly we wanna have lighter weight headsets. So much of what the experience is has nothing to do with the headset. It's the computation, the uh, generative AI to make the environments, the the, um, analytics of the signals, because we're not just um, displaying information as Christoph pointed out, we're also capturing uh, pupil dilation, uh, eye gaze, also heart rate data, facial expressions, sometimes voice tone. And then we have to process that compared to a large data set uh, to come up with interpretation of these signals to understand someone's emotional state or a cognitive state. So it's a dynamic process. And uh, the challenge often is uh, that interface of where do we start? Once we can get out and use 5G or something else to to get to um, our data sets and do the analysis, it's, it's great, but that first leg of, in a clinical situation or reaching people who are living in remote areas uh, that's a problem there too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we need 5g everywhere
1: good <laughs> sylvia a bit um comment maybe from your side uh ublox is also not only semiconductors but also positioning solutions right and uh, what kind of network do you rely on today and what do you see in the roadmap uh, for future
2: uh, so so first of all, back on the network sort of capacity requirements moving forward, um, I did a project um, early this year uh, for my EMBA thesis on value creation for telecom. so I looked around the data available publicly. Um, so they're quoting about from Credit Suisse quoting about 20 times more capacity increase because of Metaverse implication and that's modest of increase 20% more um, so so that that it's interesting because um, there's more devices but also the application will be so diverse that you need to equip your infrastructure but also like positioning solution to cater those use cases now back to the positioning aspect which is interesting because for metaverse most of the applications are indoors all right so yeah. when you're outdoor, you can rely on GPS, GNSS, which is great because then that helps you to identify your precise location, maybe in centimeter. Yeah, it's pretty good. But when you're moving indoors, you don't have that coverage. Um, so you either rely on Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or cellular. Right? So a 5G, yes, great bandwidth. As a room with thumb, the physics: the wider the bandwidth, you get the higher accuracy you can possibly get. Of course, also depends depends on the location of the no- notes, right? If you have radio notes scattered in this indoor building, the more you have, of course, that gives you kind of triangulation to help you get that location. But there's also a question about the cost, um, and there's also a question about when you deploy your radio system indoor, have you also think about the topology for positioning as well. So that normally not the case. So so normally, you know when we talk to the indoor infrastructure vendors, of course we that's a question like okay, do your radio survey of the environment because the radio mapping is very different if you deploy your position indoor. Um, and of course, one of the um, key um, example, we have been evaluating and we have some demo kits which helped some of the um, earlier um, adopters of the indoor localization is a Bluetooth um, low power, low energy um, localization based on angle arrival. And that is promising because that helps you to get into that sub meter um, level, which is um, good starting point for some of the indoor applications
1: absolutely i love to hear that (laughs) Um, Ioannis comment from your side uh, what is your company's strategy in terms of network development
3: yeah Uh, i would like to take one step back on this Uh, first of all why we invest all of us because we consider Metaverse a real thing not a jargon Uh, we consider that it's a real business and meaning real business give benefits to both uh, companies but individuals. So we take this stand as well. Uh, actually, we think that uh, this will give us uh, a big potential. Some uh, uh, studies say that uh, the CAGR will be more than 40% per year till 27, reaching 60 billion and more. So we invest because we expect benefit. Uh, The Metaverse needs multiple layers of technology collaboration. The lowest level layer is the network. I totally agree with what has been said. 5G is a good starting point. Uh, But it's not only that. We have to see how we tackle indoors, how we tackle um, uh, rural areas or wide areas, uh, collaborating seamlessly with NTN, non-terrestrial networks, low-orbit satellites, with common devices. And I will come to the devices as well. Uh, so we're currently trying to test uh, 20 millisecond uh, round trip. Uh, we expect uh, that uh, reaching uh, 6G, this will lower even to two, three, five millisecond round trips. But still, there is a lot of things to do. We don't have to work only on the network, but also on the architecture, bringing uh, more common uh, accepted the edge computing uh, the uh, well-trained AI models that will run on the edge in order to be able to uh, address massive uh, uh, usage of sensors. Now we tackle uh, to uh, a million sensors, uh, sensors. When the metaverse come in place, we have to tackle billions or trillions and even we think that sensors will evolve. Uh, we will have a uh, common sensors from uh, tablets, uh, uh, VR glasses or whatever, phones, uh, seeing sensors, uh, seeing the pollution of the air, but we will tackle more advanced sensors from now on. Sensors that uh, read the brain or uh, uh, emit the stress of someone or other uh, activities. So uh, we have to be able to incorporate seamlessly all the technology that will emerge networks sensors will be there and sensors will be uh, able to send in real time massive data so we have to uh, uh, address this data we have to enforce applications on this data Uh, we uh, see the digital twins as the intermediate of all this decision making and uh, uh, addressing new applications to um, to the people So we are working on all this stuff, not uh, on our own. We create an ecosystem. We are the basis of the network. We collaborate with other network operators and vendors as well. And we try to engage as much as possible the sensors provider looking the future and the application provider. But also we have to engage the end user because so far we are the providers no matter from what angle. Uh, we have to um, uh, get the users, get acquainted with this. Uh, we have to create them the need to use it. Uh, we start uh, with uh, government, cities, uh, with museums. Uh, we have some use cases as we had before with healthcare and PPDR. I'll be more than glad to uh, test your uh, VR classes as well, uh, but also uh, we try to put it in the market and create success stories. But these success stories should be sustainable, not just uh, demonstration use cases, but real use cases that work and provide value and revenue. So this will create the proliferation of uh, our strategy.
1: Totally okay. agree. And. Um, Once there is technology, hardware, network, everything, we need use cases. And to have these use cases and applications, we need creators. And here I want you, Paul, to engage here and tell us more, because you've, on a daily basis, meet with these content creators and bring together with technology, and then some outcome appears.
0: Yeah, so so when we were discussing this in terms of the economic uh, um, case, or how you build the economic case for, for Metaverse. We were thinking we do a lot of work in the creative sector. And in the UK, um, there's a strong creative sector, and um, but they're quite small organizations working inside the metaverse. We just talked about in the medical area lots of very expensive technology. Um, and so I think to get to get a really diverse pool of creators, you can create some really interesting, interactive content to work with. Um, that you need in order that the people want to access and use these kind of uh, virtual environments. Uh, means we need to provide that, make that accessible. So we've got technology access programs. We have a virtual uh, virtual, um, virtual, environment, so an advanced media production where you've got stage, volumetric capture. And the idea is that we give um, creators an opportunity to experiment with these kind of tools and then work out what works, what doesn't work, build the skills. Um, this isn't directly for metaverse but it is for immersive sort of uses and applications and that way our sort of theory we, we don't have a particular answer but our theory is that give it give people access creative people innovators the access uh, lower the barriers and then and then you, we can end up with something really interesting that comes out of it and that's when you start to see some economic value and the other thing we were thinking of as well is, is is what's really important is is um is for a creator to get a return on their investment in time or, or creation, and that's where we. Although um, I hesitate a bit to bring together lots of lots of um, now unfashionable ideas, but um, we we think the Web three tech stack is really important here from from that side because it allows you to effectively tokenize the value that you're creating and own it, and then and then you can earn from it. Uh, and ideally, not just in one. Walled garden, sort of, sort of metaverse, sort of area, but ideally across the multiple ones, if, if um, so that you can you can create something and then and then earn from it, and that's that's how. Um, if if you don't do that, then people aren't going to bother, and you'll end up with um, will, with effectively um, the current. Walled gardens with um, big brand advertising, which is probably not going to be enough for it to really proliferate. Um, so that's kind of kind of another so sort of unfashionable things like metaverse, creative creator economy, and Web three. I think I think those are really important in order to to, to get um, to get creators to to create and earn from from what they what they get from it.
1: Definitely, and um, I want to convince the audience that actually there is behind uh, behind the metaverse there is business, and 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 we will start to earn from the huge investment what we've done. We, I mean, all the main players in the market have uh, voted with billions and billions of dollars into this technology and hardware and and, and apps and everything. I would like to ask all of you. Uh, if we compare, compare uh, like investment made and the expected outcome and 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 business behind it, can you comment in your specific companies and industries where you all come from, which are so various? <laughs> but I would like to hear that yes, we believe or no, we don't believe that we will start earn in five years, ten years, or or maybe later, or or maybe already already tomorrow, Paul. What do you say? You connect those dots on yeah. a daily basis.
0: So, um, so that was just the creative side. So, we're also doing work um, in, uh, say, adopting, trying to get advanced digital technologies adopted in in an industrial setting. So, with um, so with uh, corporates or with manufacturing environment, um, and and in that there's considerable interest in. Um, uh, you mentioned it before, or one of you mentioned it, training and, and examples like that. So there is there is real work, sort of sort of on on the way, I would say, um, already. Um, so your, your question is like, how long before before they will be r- real? And it's really tricky because to build a the, the vision of a like a fully immersive real time real time world takes a lot of investment. Um, but I think what we're going to find is lots of sort of smaller smaller use cases that solve specific things that gradually will, will, will build up and you were talking about in the um, in the kind of health area you've got quite quite focused areas that really make a difference and I think that's that's where we'll start from um, and I think the the expansive vision will will um, and this is why I was I said at the beginning open and interoperable because if you start with the idea that things can be interoperable then you can start to join all these pieces together in, into something more interesting uh, something a bit more expansive so this then you get your smart city which has got buildings in it and it's got transport all from different areas so that will take a, a, a longer a longer time but i'm hope we hope that we sort of can build this incrementally towards it with each each, each bit being quite useful
4: Walter, I'm sure you can add on top of this. Well, yes. Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is by William Gibson, where he said, The future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. And I think we are there. Uh, I've seen many groups investing in XR technologies for healthcare. I've seen a few exits, uh, successful exits and acquisitions. I've seen um, many groups um, successfully deploy the technology. And you know what? We have to you know it's going to be the climate crisis is going to be very expensive but so is the aging crisis we've got maybe 15 years 20 years before uh, the number of people who are living so much longer than previous generations extend their lifespan live to be 90 live to be 100 but two or two or three out of uh, every seven of us is going to have neurodementia unless we figure out how to help with that and we have smaller family sizes so we have to as a society come up with better health care to support aging in place systems that will study our cognitive states and if we have mild cognitive impairment adjust their user interface to us so we will have smart cars smart refrigerators smart uh, sensors everywhere as Jan has pointed out, but we need to do what we call effective computing, be able to measure people's emotional and also cognitive state and adjust the user interface to support an aging population. If we don't, it's gonna be extremely expensive and, and not good for society or for the individual. But your question is what's here now? And I, I just see so many fantastic use cases. I think we're going beyond the early adopters and we're going into places Just say, sure, this is a good way to distract someone from a painful procedure. Uh, this is a good way to train someone how to manage their depression. And it's, it's transitioning over to becoming something that has great value. But you know, like I said, it's, it's already here, it's just unevenly distributed. We will though, I think the medical enterprise is gonna be one of the deepest uh, use cases for the metaverse because we have to connect people to each other and to their support teams and to their families. Um, as we move forward, and the metaverse is the way to do that. Okay.
1: Christoph,
4: you
1: want
5: to add on this? Yeah, yeah. So I I would actually argue, so I'm not exactly sure how much money we make with the metaverse, but we make a lot of money with the real world because there are plenty of problems in the real world that we can actually address with augmented reality. So if we look at, if if I go to a factory now, so with Nakami, our customers right now mainly come from industry, so manufacturing companies, for example, that have huge worker shortage need to train new workers how to use machines. If I go into one of these factories trying to use a CNC machine, I have no idea. If I have somebody on my side, an expert by my side, who tells me exactly, OK, first you press this button, then you open the door, then you loosen the tool, super easy. I could, on the first time, probably use one of these machines. And this is what augmented reality can provide. It can provide um, this knowledge transfer by showing people in the real world, on the real machine, on the real equipment, um, how procedures are done. So I think. I'm not just so sure about the metaverse, but in the real world, definitely a lot of money and a lot of uh, need from industry and um, that we can solve with augmented reality solutions.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for your um, shares and thoughts. Um, we have right now 10 minutes time for audience to have questions, right?
6: Yes, yes, we do. Uh, before questions, just a quick uh, response uh, about the poll that we held. Uh, so we asked people, so, which industry do they think that will benefit most from metaverse ecosystem? And the answer is entertainment and gaming.
1: <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs>
6: followed by followed by education and training, and also retail and e-commerce. So, a lot of industries, in our uh, viewers' opinion. So, yeah. Anybody willing to take a microphone and ask a question?
1: Uh, before the question, maybe I could ask, do you agree, uh, Christoph and, ah, and, and Walter yes. and Jonis about this uh, poll, which we just received the results? <laughs> <laughs> I,
4: I think there was a selection bias to that poll. Right, right. Okay, we have a question here.
5: Yeah, uh, to build a great economy around the metaverse, we basically need every single bits and pieces, right? Uh, So technology, software, uh, connectivity, so on, and so on. Uh, Basically an ecosystem, right? I hear that there is is an ecosystem in Greece, there is an ecosystem in UK, I know in US as well. Uh, But those are, as I understand, mostly sort of local ecosystems, right? Uh, I think uh, we need sort of a global ecosystem in general uh, to make it happen. So uh, how do you, like every single of you, how you find this possible, how you how you think it can happen, how we can make it happen. Go on.
3: Yeah. Uh, I can take it also in relation to the previous question, it's exactly the same. Uh, so uh, we do not consider, first of all, metaverse as a meta-life. It's an extension of the current life. So we believe that uh, as people evolutionarily go into the metaverse, they will extend their way of feeling, they will increase their senses they will be able to communicate more contextually with additional data. And this is the opportunity, the business opportunity. Everyone finds its own place in the Metaverse, others they like gaming, others uh, they can offer health care or elderly care or uh, autonomous driving or uh, cultural uh, or participation to events. So everybody has its own feeling, but there is the threat. The threat is that we are going to create silos, no matter what the hype is and the, how, no matter how the technology evolves, we can create easily silos and this will stop the proliferation or decrease the proliferation of potential. So the threat is uh, that we have to work very closely with the standard bodies in order to create the federation means between the models uh, and the interoperability needs. When we create an application, this application may have to collaborate with a different application, for instance, the elderly with the gaming or the culture or the movement. Uh, uh, When we have a smart city, uh, we can federate it with another smart city, of course, in a privacy preserving way, uh, and we can exchange uh, best uh, practices, uh, lessons learned. Uh, in terms of models, and we can practice these lessons. So in order to proliferate this and become global, both vertically and uh, horizontally and vertically, we have to create close with the standard bodies, create the frameworks, uh, make the necessary APIs and models that we all need to obey in order to go one one step further and make it more global and more across the economy.
1: Absolutely.
3: All right, next question here.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there will be absolutely amazing business cases, but what I'm really curious about is how Metaverse and uh, according technologies could shape the future of innovation and perhaps different models of engaging with each other between the stakeholders and maybe how to make the problems more accessible to solutions. Perhaps you can share either any good examples or methodologies or just ideas on this topic. Thank you.
4: I think Paul, your example of creatives uh, coming up with something that can be contributed and sold to the broader ecosystem. Um, we have to make the content that we have for whatever purpose, engaging and interesting, and we have to put that layer that you you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, we
0: were talking um, just before this. Um, Walter mentioned earlier on storytelling, and I think that's a really important part of this: is storytelling of 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 what you can, what the environment can do, and uh, to to have a sort of a positive sense to it. And um, so I think I think that's really important. Something that is really important as part of that is to make sure that you have the right voices doing the storytelling. This is something that is a bit of a concern that we're taking. Uh, there's a risk of taking the inequities that we have today and just reflecting in the future. I'm just thinking here in terms of the biggest platforms that are currently being discussed for metaverse. It's an expensive thing. So it will be dominated by, I uh, <laughs> feel, feel slightly exposed, oh, dominated by kind of white, white middle-aged men uh, from California. And that just seems like
4: the wrong We're wearing black, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it
0: seems like the wrong thing. So we need to, we need to make sure that, um, that, uh, that the storytelling is accessible and made available to all types of people. Uh, and that is not just, I mean, I was just thinking, it's not just, in this context, but also for innovators, access to capital, to be able to develop develop um, our ideas and, and and
6: do their thing. So I think that's a really critical critical part and then... All right, I think yeah. we need to move on with the next question. Sorry for that. Yeah, yeah thank you. What's
1: yeah, time is our name?
6: enemy. Yeah, <laughs> my question is related to digital age, lifelong learning and digital age university. Do you know examples for application of metaverse which are not copying the approaches of Today, yeah,
3: yes. <laughs> this is more to you, I think.
4: We uh, we we have taught during the pandemic. We taught uh, courses in the in the metaverse uh, very successfully. And one example that I I love is what was done at uh, the Medical Sc- Case Western. The medical students who were learning anatomy learned on a virtual cadaver in a team approach. Even though they were distributed and they scored to have a 40% higher retention than those students who learned in real life. So not only did the metaverse connect them in a way that was cost-effective and necessary at the time of the pandemic, it also improved their learning.
6: All right, we have at least two more questions. First of all, I want to say thanks that you are here. I'm so happy for that. And uh, this question will be for the um, Dr. Walter Greenfield. Since I am extended reality developer, I'm working with um, co- uh, brain computer interface, BCI, and uh, and I just wonder uh, if you have kind of uh, exper- experiments back in Stanford where you use this kind of technology just to distinguish um, uh, hand movements or finger movements. And I just wonder if, if, if it's possible uh, to distinguish these small details. I'm sorry that this is not a question about 5G, even though I have worked uh, yeah. with the remote rendering of the edge servers. But yeah, this is yes, the time
4: being- yes. There's work uh, using fNIRS technology and also EEG measurements and other imaging technology, or even just you know uh, uh, measuring uh, from the periphery uh, to, to get hand movements and positioning. So there's new innovations coming through to interface us to the metaverse. Yeah. Not invasively, but...
6: Excuse me, we need to move on with our next All right, question.
4: We'll talk later. yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Uwe Bede from Rode and Schwarz. So if you have kids, you have a discussion when to get uh, the first uh, smartphone for kids. So my question is, what is the right age to introduce kids to the metaverse? It's hard to keep them out. <laughs> that's a hard question yeah. so when is the when is the right age yeah. to
5: expose kids to give them a yeah, phone yeah. i'm not yeah. sure whether there's a big difference whether we give them a phone or we give them the goggles but yeah the phone might be even more dangerous because it's less easy to control so yeah but i'm a middle-aged white man from yeah. silicon Valley. <laughs>
6: <laughs> At least the jacket is not black. Yeah. All right, I, I, we have a next question here. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we are interacting uh, with, the, with the digital environment through the flat screens, but uh, of course the huge potential is uh, to interact through this augmented or, or, uh, uh, or virtual reality solutions, but uh, for many people it causes uh, emotion sickness if we will not solve this problem, there will be, uh, there will be a little business there to create this uh, metaverse solution. So do we have hope to solve it in the, in the close future?
4: I, I should jump in to say that I think that problem has been solved. A lot mm-hmm. of the nausea problems we have were with yesterday's technology, especially when people are using cell phones, sliding them into a cardboard mm-hmm. box. I think, by and large, now I work with a lot of elderly people. The motion sickness—if we calibrate right and design—it's often the design too. If you move the world around someone without giving them agency, you'll make them sick. But if you let them move through the world, so a lot of designers don't appreciate that, and that's where a lot of the motion sickness comes from. But I, what are your experiences?
6: Uh, we will maybe know that later (laughs) when we talk in the break because we need to finish the session so we have time to uh, switch rooms so we need to okay yeah sure thanks a lot for moderating thank you all the panelists thank Thank you so much